This is Paula Morell, and welcome to the Tales from the South podcast. How's everybody doing tonight? So how about tonight's music about the salty dogs? Y'all like the salty dogs? Arkansas's premier feel-good country band, the Salty Dogs, have had their music featured on TLC's Trading Spaces and HBO's Rectify. They have CDs for sale after the show, and more can be found at thesaltydogs.net. All right, well, welcome to Tales from the South, where Southerners bring their own true stories to life. We are on location at Best Impressions Restaurant in the Arkansas Arts Center in Little Rock, Arkansas. Tales from the South is presented by Temino's Publishing Company and the Midnight Muse Writing Workshops. And tonight's show is sponsored by Solo Parent Magazine. And I'm your host, Paula Martin Morell. What do y'all think about our set back here? Y'all like our set? These Delta screen doors with mixed media portraiture are by esteemed Arkansas artist V.L. Cox from her Images of the American South collection and are for sale. A portion of the proceeds from the sale of these works goes to Tales from the South. Our listeners can find out more about these pieces and V.L. at her website, greatfineart.com. All right, are y'all ready for some Southern style storytelling? Tonight is our flying solo show with stories centered around the sometimes challenging, oftentimes funny, and always rewarding life of being a single parent. All stories are true and told by the Southerners who live them. Later tonight, Lenny Dusek gathers her kids and her strength and will end the night with Sherry Rankins Robertson as she opens a can of worms with just one word. But let's start the night here at Tales from the South with Deborah Carroll as her mom prepares to take care of business in We Three Girls. Mama grabbed my hand and marched me to the car like Patton leading his troops. As usual, when she's mad, she doesn't say a lot, which always makes me nervous. But let me tell you, she could say a lot with those green eyes and Papa's furled brow. When we got to the elementary school, she again grabbed my hand and we marched into the principal's office demanding to see the principal, who reluctantly came out from behind the glass-walled office. Hello, ma'am. What can we do for you today? He said while looking over his glasses at my little short self. I want to know why you sent her home. What is wrong with that dress she has on? She said as she pointed to me. I was melting into the beige floor tile from embarrassment. Calm down, ma'am. We have rules here at the school, and one of the rules for appropriate attire is that when the girls get on their knees, their dress should hit the floor. I assumed the position and looked down. Sure enough, my hem didn't make it to the floor. Without even glancing up at her, I knew that wasn't going to fly with my mama. Our parents had divorced the year before, one of the first families that divorced in our neighborhood. Even as a young girl, I could feel the looks and hear the whispers when we walked by. Their parents got a divorce. I know what happened. As a child, we wanted to turn around and say, it's none of your business, 
But being the sweet little southern girls that we were, we would just smile and say, have a nice day, y'all, and keep walking. After the divorce, Mom held down a full-time job working in a doctor's office during the week and part-time on Sundays at the drugstore across from the university. All of the other employees were older women or men with comb-overs. One old geezer that frequented the lunch counter was checking out the divorced lady, and you know what they say about divorced ladies. <laughs> my, my, how did you get such big muscles on those pretty little arms, he said while running his hand down my mom's arm. Without a beat, she stood up, and as she walked away, said, from hitting old men. <laughs> to say that she had sass might be an understatement. Because mom worked so much, we learned at an early age how to cook for ourselves. One year, I was making a cake for mama to surprise her on her birthday. Only problem was, she came home early before I had the icing on. My big sister came running out of the kitchen. Hide the cake. Mom's pulling in the driveway. Little sister grabbed the candles, and I grabbed the bowl of icing and started to figure out, where am I going to hide an unfinished cake? Big sister shoved me in the bathroom. Then she turned to little sister, you go play in the living room. And don't say anything, big mouth, I said to little sister, because she never could keep a secret very long. Our sink didn't have a vanity around it, so my solution was to sit the cake on the toilet top while I decorated it. <laughs> Big and little sister kept Mama busy, then let her pass the bathroom into her bedroom so I could get on with the cake. She was surprised that we pulled that off, especially when she saw me come out of the bathroom. It was fun sometimes being in a house with only four women living there. You could get by with running around in a slip or baby doll pajamas. But when one of us had a date, we would always have to shout from the front door, Man in the house! <laughs> Her rules, when you came home from a date, you can't sit in the car, but you have to come in the house. Once, while kissing my date goodnight, over my shoulder, I could see the porch light going on and off very fast. Oh, Lord, <laughs> I am in trouble now. I gotta go. And I ran into the house expecting to get yelled at, but to my surprise, she wasn't there. Turned out the light had a short in it, and it was flickering by itself. <laughs> by the time I was driving age, Mama got a new 1966 Mustang. We thought that was the coolest car ever. Hey, Mom, uh, I think we need some bread. Do you want me to go to the store for you? She reluctantly agreed. But that day, the stick shift burned in my hand, and I decided to bolt out of the neighborhood and all the way down the New Benton Highway to the McDonald's on University. Nodding my head while I cruised around the back and waving to my friends as I pulled out on the street, I didn't see the car coming that plowed into the driver's side. Please, Lord, strike me dead right now. I don't want to have to call my mom and tell her that her new car is wrecked. The officer insisted that she come to the scene while the wrecker was hooking up the car. I went inside the restaurant to make the call, and my knees were buckling. Mom, I'm all right. I was in an accident. A woman hit me. 
where are you? She said, apparently shook up. Every time I think I'm getting ahead, you girls pull a stunt like this. Well, needless to say, at this point, having to also reveal to her that the wreck was on university, not at the store at the entrance, was not pleasant. Watching her pull up with our neighbor was very embarrassing, and especially when she started yelling at the other driver for hitting me. When the officer corrected her, ma'am, it was your daughter's fault for pulling out in front of her. She's getting the tickets. If looks could kill, I should have spontaneous combustion right there at Mickey D's. But this was all light years away from that day in elementary school, kneeling on the floor in the principal's office, waiting for Mama to give him an earful. I know now that as a divorced single mom at 33, raising three daughters on her own, it could not have been easy for Mom to be strong, independent, and courageous. She made it clear that we could do anything we wanted to be, and that was in the 1960s, a time when women were not made to feel that way, especially in the South. But as I knelt there on that dirty floor, none of this was occurring to me. What was clear was Mama was about to tell my principal exactly what she thought of his ridiculous policy. She put one hand on her hip and lifted me up with the other. As far as I can see it, this dress is appropriate. And if you don't like it, then the school can start buying my daughter's clothes. And if you don't intend on doing that, they will wear what I buy them. She grabbed my hand, and we marched out the door. My heart was pounding in the pit of my stomach. I was so embarrassed. Years later, I would find one of her poems written in 1962 when she was probably trying to get the strength to get a divorce and find the courage to be a single mom. It's called So Little Time. There is so little time to do the things I want to do, and what about the many things one simply must not do because of regulations society bestows on you? So little time to register on this universe, dare we desecrate the pattern our life to intersperse? Or must we just interpret this brief lifespan to make the best impression on this human caravan? Does this bother me? Yes, I fear it will be true that I will look back at sunset at all the things I wanted to do. But Mama died this year, but she left an incredible gift for me and my sisters. The acceptance, strength, and love to be ourselves. She was the best mama us girls could have ever had, and I hope that she got to do most if not all other things she wanted to do. Somehow, I think she did. Deborah Carroll is currently working on children's books to keep her eight grandchildren entertained. She is an award-winning author, artist, and historian that loves finding out about Arkansas's historic buildings. Next on Tales from the South, Lenny Dusick takes her kids on a bike ride, and there's no turning back in Riding the Fear. People throw up for a variety of reasons. It's not just one thing that makes us queasy. Fear can make us vomit, or motion sickness, a stomach virus, too much alcohol, food poisoning, being pregnant, 
And as my son Vincent likes to tell me, a combination of eating two bananas then quickly drinking a Sprite will make you puke every time. <laughs> well, my daughter Corinne threw up twice the other night, once around 3 a.m., again around 5. Since I've been a mom for 14 years, there's not a sound in the world that can maneuver past the laser-like parental alarm system in my brain. Do you know that sound? Little feet hit the floor, toilet lid bangs open, a deep guttural, and your body is alert like two cups of coffee alert. I stumbled through the bathroom door just in time to hold her hair as she retched mostly into the bowl. Flush, rinse, hug, back to bed, repeat two hours later. Now, I know my kids pretty well, and I'll admit, I wasn't concerned that this was the start of the flu bug, or that she was drunk, or pregnant, or afraid. I suspected the culprit was our Friday evening Chinese takeout dinner at the park, which was followed by skateboarding, running bases at the ball field, half an hour of hiking. Corinne's little nervous system has always been strangely sensitive, as long as I can remember. She's the first one in the room to speak out about civil injustice, but will ask me three times when we're baking together, now, which bowl do I add a teaspoon of salt to? This one? When she was underage two, she and I had this facial communication thing, and she'd sort of ask me if it was okay to take a step, or to play her toy piano, or to let go of my hand. Now, my youngest child, Vincent, is the opposite of his sister. He has an iron gut. Honestly, I can't recall him ever throwing up. He has the most sensitive heart, but is the first one out of the room to dart up a tree or a building. Danger? Consequences? He'll eat anything quickly so he can get back to climbing or video gaming or making explosives in his room with cap gun refills and magnetic silly putty. Okay. Vincent will give me that certain look, and I can tell he really doesn't know what day it is. So the next morning, after Corinne's night of nausea, I fully expected that teenager to be in bed until noon. But instead, I found her in the kitchen just after 9 a.m., pouring a glass of almond milk. You feeling better today, Seabear? Yeah, Mom, I don't know what that was all about. I feel fine this morning. Good thing Corinne was back to normal, because that day, Saturday, the weather was gorgeous. And being a single mom who works full-time, I figured the best way to spend the day would be outdoors. Mowing, raking, and pulling weeds in my long-neglected front and backyards. The kids could help. You know, it'd be fun. Or at least productive and maybe somewhat bonding. Well, thank God, Corinne suggested something else entirely. I mean, really? I didn't want to do yard work. She and her friends had recently gotten into biking. Little Rock and North Little Rock have beautiful paved trails that extend for miles, taking you over the Arkansas River, across open fields, through pine forests, beside swampy wetlands and around rocky bluffs. After spending almost an hour trying to figure out how to load three full-sized bicycles into a shuddy Malibu, including some phone calls and texts to friends about maybe borrowing a truck or a bike rack, I finally conceded and called Bobby's Bike Hike downtown. Three reserved bicycles later, we parked our car and picked up our rented bikes. The cashier explained that the start of the trail was blocked off due to the Robinson Auditorium renovation a few streets away. We would have to bike parallel with traffic for a mile or so until we got back onto the trail. No worries, she said. There'll be orange detour signs along the way pointing you in the right direction. I caught a glimpse of Corinne's expression. It clearly communicated fear and uncertainty. 
I had to talk her down. It's okay, babe. Downtown isn't busy. Like on weekdays, we'll be past it and on the trail in no time. But the daunting stretch between the bike rental shop and the end of the detour was intense, even for me. Corinne's highly sensitive nervous system was at DEFCON 1. <laughs> I could hear her behind me panting and complaining. This isn't what I expected. I was throwing up last night. Mom, remember? I feel weak. I just want to go home. And then I heard Vincent back there saying, well, I appreciate what you're trying to do, Mom. And I'm having a good time. My highly sensitive heart. It's really difficult to have a conversation with someone who's on a bicycle behind you. So we all stopped and got off our bikes so Corinne and I could yell at each other properly. We were about to cross four lanes of traffic because the damn detour signs picked up on the other side of Cantrell Road. I felt like we were entering a game of Frogger. <laughs> Corinne's mind was about to snap. My mind was filtering options. Call someone to pick us all up. Call someone to only pick up the party pooper. Call no one and simply keep going. I turned to my daughter and said, the bikes have been paid for. We're on our way. The detour will end shortly and we'll be on a trail without any cars. Just hang in there. Do you want me to stop at Exxon to get you a protein bar or something? My decision had been made. We were going to go for it. I briefly prepped them on the plan before hopping out onto Cantrell Road with this sage advice. I'm going first. Follow me and don't get hit. <laughs> we made it across the four lanes and nobody died. The official bike trail was close now, just another mile down a less traveled road, and we'd be on that path for bikes only. I knew Corinne was all right, even though I could hear her crying behind me, exasperated, fearful, but still pedaling. When we made it to the roundabout, the beginning leg of our 12-mile journey on the official river trail, Corinne's complaints ceased altogether, and her tears dried up. She was relaxing. So we cycled over the Big Dam Bridge into North Little Rock and the most diverse parts of the trail. We took our time stopping to explore or chug our sports drinks or relieve our aching amateur backsides. The three of us were spread out on the grass watching the river about to bike over the last bridge on the trail. When I asked Corinne, well, honey, was it worth it? Was that an okay trip for you? And she said, yeah, mom, it was fun. I'm sorry I got so hysterical. Moments of parental wisdom happen to me about as often as spotting a meteor in the sky. The less cloudy my field of vision and the more I simply look up, the more likely such events occur in my life. As a single mother who mostly sees her kids in the early morning, the late evening, and every other weekend, when the light of insight comes into view and I can share it with my child, and my child is ripe for listening, well, I'm almost giddy with the divine opportunity. I said, Corinne, it's normal to be fearful. Everybody feels fear. But you knew you were safe, and the detour was only temporary. You did it. You stuck it out. And what a great ride you had. She was reserved in her smile, but looked at me with a knowing expression of agreement and a twinkle of the heavens in her eyes. Described by her two teenagers as the mom on Bob's Burgers, Lenny Dusig makes her home in Little Rock, Arkansas. She's the early childhood specialist and volunteer coordinator at the Museum of Discovery. 
In our final story of the night here at Telsch in the South, Sherry Rankins Robertson's daughter has some interesting questions in Jumping in the Mud Puddles of Sex Education. Some parents in my generation have been coined helicopter parents. However, I, I will openly acknowledge I am the Battlestar Galactica of parenting. <laughs> I am known to Madeline and her friends as the mothership. <laughs> At nearly three years old, Madeline said to me, Mommy, my body hurts. Without looking up from my textbook, I said, Sweetie, what part of your body? She responded, you know, my body. (laughs) I looked up to see what she could possibly be communicating, as it was frequent that she would look for reaction for a new word that she had acquired. Her hand was was level with her belly button, with her pelvis thrust forward and her finger signaling down. (laughs) I quickly became aware that she was talking about her genitals as her body. I asked, who taught you that this is called your body? Miss Tammy did. Oh, honey, that's not called your body. Your body is your head and your legs and your arms and your tummy and your toes. Everything, all of Madeline, is called your body. Then, like 10,000 stones being thrown at me, she asked, So what is that called? (laughs) And with another downward point, I was in the very dilemma that I had considered many times before. Well, Lucy, this is my term of endearment for her, I found myself stumbling over my words as I considered whether to use the anatomically correct term, vagina, to my toddler or to call it hoo-hoo or some other girly name. (laughs) So I decided as fast as I could say it, I would just say it. Madeline, it is called your vagina. (laughs) She repeated after me, vagina? And then she squealed with laughter. Less than six months after Madeline learned the word, She spent Thanksgiving lunch with her father at his parents' house. When Neely brought brought Madeline back home to me that afternoon, he held her out in front of me as if she was covered in mud. He says to me, Do you know what Madeline said in in front of my entire family? Of course, I was at a loss as this child could recite her alphabet in English, her numbers in Spanish, and an assortment of nursery rhymes. But by the way he was holding her, I knew this was not a moment of parental pride. He said, just after everyone had gathered around the table for lunch, bowed their heads for the blessing, and then placed food on their plate, Madeline stood in her booster seat and commanded the attention of the room. (laughs) Do you know what my mommy taught me? He recounted how every eye gazed upon our daughter as though her tiny voice had been a silver fork tapping against a crystal glass. My mommy says I have a vagina. (laughs) And with that, she covered her mouth with both of her hands, bent at her waist, and broke into laughter. (laughs) Everyone looked at Neely, who watched his uncontrollable daughter. As I retrieved Madeline, who had been extended between the space between the two of us for the duration of his rant, I really tried not to laugh. I could see his face reddening, as I imagine it had been a few hours before with his family. I knew that he had believed that girls were not supposed to talk this way, or any way, other than at the dinner table. I was not sorry that I taught our daughter this word, so I began, Neely, I tell Madeline that her arm is called an arm and that her nose is called a nose, so why would I not tell her her vagina is called a vagina? It was as if the more he heard that word, (laughs) the angrier he got. 
sex education at age three was not what we had in mind. With the holiday shopping season around the corner, Maddie and I walked hand in hand across the parking lot of Walmart. She spotted an expecting mother wobbling toward the sliding glass doors. Her finger extended out towards the mother. Look at how fat she is. The new mother heard my daughter's words and glared at my child and then shifted her laser beams upon me. I dramatically mouthed, I am so sorry. I stopped in front of the coin-operated toy machines that reside in the lobby and kneeled down in front of my child eye to eye. First, we do not say fat. That is an ugly word. And second, that lady that you pointed at, she is pregnant. She tilted her head like a curious animal. What is pregnant? (laughs) My tone changed. Pregnant's when you have a baby inside your tummy. With great excitement, she said, What kind of baby? Like a puppy or a kitty? (laughs) She squinted her nose. I raised my eyebrows. Oh, baby, it's a human, like you, a little tiny person. How do you think that baby got inside that mommy? With the desire to stop this conversation, I thought of the easiest response. Well, a daddy put it inside there. How do you think that daddy got that baby inside that mommy? My patience was growing thin with this series of questions, as this is not how I imagine explaining the birds and bees to my daughter, especially not at this age or in front of vending machines at Walmart. Mommies have something called eggs, and daddies have something called sperm. Instantly, I cringed, thinking of what she had done with the word vagina at Thanksgiving. (laughs) So when that sperm and egg come together, God turns that into a baby, Madeline. And with that, she seemed content with the circle of life. Only a few days later, she climbed onto the couch with me. Mama, you know about that baby that that daddy puts inside that mama? I didn't even look up from my magazine. Yes, Madeline Elaine, I had hoped using her full name with a sharp tone would encourage this to stop. Without missing a beat, she said, how do you think that baby's going to get out of there? (laughs) Well, it takes nine months for babies to grow inside mommies so that they're strong enough to come into the world. And then the mommy's body just lets her know. How's she going to know? Like, does God say to you five more minutes? (laughs) This was a phrase I had continuously given to Madeline when she needed my attention. Five more minutes, Lucy. Well, Madeline, that baby swims around in water inside something that's like a balloon inside the mommy's tummy. And when the baby's ready to come out, the water comes out first. Then you know it's time to go to the hospital so the doctor can get the baby out for you. Her, first, her face indicated that she was still thinking, but to my gratitude, no more words followed. As we neared Christmas, my sister had asked me to drop my nephew Jordan, who is four days older than Madeline, off so that the two of them could have playtime. While the kids were playing, Jordan notified me that he was going to visit the restroom. Suddenly, I hear my daughter screaming down the hallway, Mommy! Mommy! Come quick, something's wrong with Jordan. I ran full speed down the hallway, arriving at the open door. Madeline is pointing at Jordan, who is standing there going to the bathroom. Breathlessly, I grasped, Madeline, what is the matter? Her eyes were full of tears. She sobbed, Mama, something's coming out of his vagina. As she pointed at his penis. Trying to hide my laughter, I provided what I thought was a simple clarification to my three-year-old. Honey, this is about how boys are different than girls. It's kind of like their vaginas are on the outside, but it's called a penis. And with that, she just left the room, and I helped Jordan wash his hands. A few days ago, Neely and I escorted our 20-year-old daughter to Little Rock Airport because Madeline is moving back to Phoenix. She looked like a fashion model in her high-heeled black boots, 
fan Parisian skirt, wide brim hat. Her hair hung down her back, and the loose curls bounced ever so slightly as she walked. I recalled our kindergartner with Shirley Temple curls and a striped dress and brown Mary Jane shoes. At the security gate, she looked back and waved goodbye ever so slightly with her radiant smile and her almond-shaped eyes. When people say your children grow up in a blink of an eye, there's much to be said in that statement. Whether it is her early lessons of sex education, the painful truth of who delivered her gifts on December 25th, or the discussion that we would be moving her across the country from Phoenix to Little Rock when she was 16, away from all of her friends, I have found that accurate, straightforward information has served me best in parenting Madeline. As she is now into adulthood, I find that I might not be always be there to be able to hold the umbrella over Madeline's head during the storms. But my hope is, is that she has been armed with knowledge to prepare her for the splashes that she will make as she jumps into the puddles of life. Sherry Robertson believes education is the lifeblood of the mind. Dr. Rankins Robertson works at UALR and encourages you to support single parents in the pursuit of higher education by donating to single parent scholarship funds. So how about our stories and storytellers tonight? Thank you to all of our writers. Thank you to our live audience here at Best Impressions Restaurant in the Arkansas Arts Center. And thank you to UALR Public Radio. Tales from the South is presented by Timonos Publishing Company and the Midnight Muse Writing Workshops. And tonight's show is sponsored by Solo Parent Magazine. More at soloparentmag.com. Additional support provided by UALR School of Mass Communications, the Writer's Colony at Derry Hollow, Little Rock Soiree Magazine, UALR's Department of Rhetoric and Writing, the North Little Rock Visitors Bureau, the Arkansas Arts Council, and the Oxford American, the Southern Magazine of Good Writing. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Stitcher Smart Radio, and you can download and listen to our podcast on our website. We are open for submissions from all Southerners. More can be found at talesfromthesouth.com. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week for another edition of Tales from the South. Good night, everybody. Writer accommodations for Tales from the South provided by Robinwood Bed and Breakfast in Little Rock. More at robinwoodbnb.com. And the Baker House Bed and Breakfast in North Little Rock. More at bakerhousenlr.com. Live sound and studio assistance provided by the UALR School of Mass Communication. You too can experience Tales in person as a member of our live audience. We're now traveling throughout Arkansas and the South, bringing tales to your community. Details on hosting a live show, our schedule, and ticket information can all be found on our website, talesfromthesouth.com. Thanks for keeping the art of Southern-style storytelling alive. And we'll see you next week on Tales from the South. That must be Jellica's jam, don't shake like that. Must be Jellica's jam, don't shake like that. And she's looking mighty fine, she's dancing in a cowboy hat. Well, she piles her hair up high and she shimmies down low. And she piles her hair up high and she shimmies down low. And she's looking mighty fine and she's ready to live in
steering back at me. Walmart towel, Bart Angel. <laughs> 